welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. Welcome in. This is the Tuesday Not So Deep Dive episode where we try to go through a stock in about 30 to 45 minutes, give you the basics of a company, what they do, the valuation, all that good stuff. We have Ian Gray on the show today and we're talking Peloton. I have to ask uh, for both of you guys, do you own a Peloton? Um, Are you into this interactive fitness stuff? Ian, do you have one? I do not own a Peloton. I've I've considered it. It's just a little, I can't justify the price for me right now, but it's, All right, once uh, they do, yeah. One more price cut and they're going to, you're going to be golden. Uh, Ryan, <laughs> exactly. you, have, have you tried one or? Uh, I have tried one. I don't okay. own one. Um, I like them. I could see why certain people would have them, but it's just not, I, I prefer to like go to the gym and stuff. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, oh, I bet we're going to discuss that a lot, the dynamics versus Peloton versus going to the gym. Uh, probably a lot of anecdotal evidence there. And I'll let Ryan introduce what Peloton is. But first, I have to talk about our sponsor today, Potential Multibaggers. The aim of the Potential Multibaggers service is to find stocks that can go up 10x over the next 10 years or compound at 26% per year. Potential Multibaggers has picked great long-term picks like Roku at 113 Square at $75, Lavongo at $24, and plenty of others. If you want to become a multi, you can go to Seeking Alpha and look for From Growth to Value. Google it or go to at From Value on Twitter. And if you have any confusion on that, please just contact us. We'll yeah. make it really easy to introduce you. All right, Ryan, you have another one to talk about the special seven yeah. investing promotion. We're Real quick, about. we got a Christmas holiday discount. So if you want to do, uh, if you've been considering signing up for seven investing at all, this is probably the time to do it. You can get the annual membership uh, for $50 off, which is already uh, a discount from if you did it monthly for a year. I think it's, it comes out to like a 42% total discount from what the monthly would be if you did it for 12 months. So this is the time to do it. Use the code CHITCHAT, not CCM, for the $50 off. We've changed it for the $50 deal. Uh, so go ahead, use code CHITCHAT. You guys know and love 7investing if you're recurring listeners, so you know what you're getting. Uh, feel free to use that. But without further ado, let's get to the show. We're talking Peloton. Uh, it's an interactive fitness platform. I think most people know what they do, so I won't like belabor the, uh, I guess, the product. But if you don't, uh, it's basically workout equipment paired with interactive classes. So the two big pieces of hardware that, hardware that they have are the stationary bike and the treadmill. Um, they, they also sell apparel and they have some accessories that go along with it. So like weights or uh, foam rollers, stuff like that. Um, but the majority of the revenue comes from the, those two big pieces of hardware and then the sale of subscriptions. So uh, a little more about the logistics behind these. When someone buys a bike or a tread, they almost always go uh, do so directly through the website or mobile app. They have a bunch of showrooms, which look like stores, but you don't buy the bikes in the stores. It's this weird thing that companies decide to do now where you have a physical footprint to show the product, but not actually sell the product. So uh, you can go in there, you can test it and kind of get uh, get an idea of whether or not you want a Peloton, but then you go and you order it online and it's shipped out. Uh, it's manufactured often by third-party manufacturers, although they are working on getting uh, some of their own manufacturing, and we'll talk about that later. But uh, it's then it's then shipped to the states, so it's manufactured in Asia, shipped to the states or wherever the target market is that the consumer bought it, and then they deliver it directly to your house and they help install it. So they have sort of a last-mile logistics network. So if you've ever seen a Peloton truck, they are. I saw, so, I saw one outside my apartment. I was like, all right, there's some bullish evidence right there. Yeah. Right. And so their whole thing is trying to be as trying to control the entire process from manufacturing to delivery, but there is some third party contracting that they have to do as well. Um, As for the content side, they have two production studios, one in London, one in New York. And those studios employ 40 instructors with uh, that range and sort of their workout specialty. So it could be cycling, running, yoga, strength training, meditation, any number of things. 
those workouts are stored in a library of content that members get access to, but then there's also live classes. So think of that part as sort of like the Netflix model, except you also have the live classes as well. Um, and then I should also mention as far as pricing goes, the standard bike, so which is their standard stationary bike costs $1,495. Their bike plus is $2,495. It swivels. Uh, it does that's, swivel. That's the bike apparently, plus swivels. That's it's where apparently it's got better, uh, better speakers, but you can turn the TV screen or the iPad screen that's on this bike uh, and do like yoga classes, uh, you know, strength training, stuff like that. Uh, then the treadmill is $24.95 as well. All of those uh, include 39 months, 0% APR financing, and there's the subscription is $40 a month. So it's actually quite affordable for a household if, especially after the financing period, say you've got, uh, it's like 39 bucks a month for the hardware, you're paying $40 for the subscription, whatever it is, $79 a month. That's month. kind of a lot. It's a, that's an expensive but, gym membership. But you've got four or five people or maybe two people after the financing period. It's not that much, 20 bucks a month. Maybe, yeah. For a family, I guess, yeah. Um, but that's pretty much the business. I think everyone kind of understands that. And then history in 2012, a former Barnes & Noble executive named John Foley had this apparently epiphany that instructor-led classes were better than just working out on your own. And so he decided to bring the experience into the home. The rest of that year, he spent bringing in some other team members and he raised a $3.5 million Series A. And by 2013, they had a working prototype. By 2014, they began selling to consumers and they opened their Manhattan studio. All uh, Kind of all along the way, they were raising more funding rounds to help expand their manufacturing capacity because it was pretty capital intensive early on. I'm Looking back on it now, I'm surprised it succeeded. I'm surprised they've grown this quickly. I thought they would have been founded way earlier than this. Uh, that's kind of yeah. an interesting note, 2013. I would have thought it would have been before 2010. I guess that's what venture capital can do. They uh, really, yeah, it put gasoline on that fire for growth. Uh, I am curious to know how much or how the uh, contracts with the instructors were early on. Like, was it like sort of a class split? Like, did they have incentives or was it just a pure, you just paid the instructors? Because I imagine that would have been pretty costly for them. Um, but uh, I couldn't find any information on that. And by 2019, they officially became public. Interesting note, John Foley, the CEO, did an interview with CNBC before coming public where he said that they were surprisingly profitable. They were not. Um, yeah. We saw their S1 financials. Maybe he was looking at some other sort of metric like uh, internal contribution profit or something like that. <laughs> well, but, their contribution margin on the, well, maybe we'll talk about some financial shenanigans because one of theirs, their contribution margin on their subscriptions is higher than their gross margin, which I don't understand, but we'll get to that. I don't know. Yeah, I guess that that's sort of the business model. Sell the hardware uh, and then hopefully get them all to be subscribers over time. They really want the subscription to kind of be the selling or the majority of the business, I imagine, over the long run. Yep, and we'll get into more of those details later. I'll hit industry and competition. Pretty easy to understand this one. Competitors are Bowflex, Nordic Track. Echelon. There's a lot of other small manufacturers of these fitness equipment because in reality, the fitness equipment itself is a bit of a commodity. And then their biggest competitor is probably gyms, which actually have a lot of this fitness equipment in them, but they're competing with gym memberships. So the global fitness industry is estimated to be at about $87 billion globally with 200,000 gyms or studios around the world. And then possibly the most important stat to think about with Peloton because they're really a subscriber and user based. That's kind of that's one of the most important metrics you're looking at. They're an estimated 174 million fitness club members worldwide. So that's probably their target market that they're trying to go after. I honestly think and um, okay, no, this is a this is another note here. I think it's probably a slam dunk to see the fitness industry continue to grow around the world because if you look at who is uh, who is even contributing to the fitness industry if the quality of life continues to improve and manual labor decreases around the world, I think that will get more and more people either subscribing to this at-home stuff or joining gyms, more gyms increasing because fitness didn't really show up until people stopped having to do manual labor. Um, that was kind of the, the fitness. Um, I don't think it really showed up as an industry until after World War II. So if that continues, you'll probably see an increase in TAM. I don't have any numbers on that, but I hope, does that make sense, guys? Uh, that might be a bit yeah. confusing. The, there was kind of like a, 
misconception, I think, about lifting weights in general prior to like this last by 40 years, right? Yeah. yeah. It was kind of, it was like almost uh, a taboo, like uh, it's maybe the topic, maybe the way to describe it. I remember there was a study that I won't go on with this too long, but the college football didn't even lift weights for like oh until right like 60, and, uh, until like 65 yeah that's uh my dad if he's listening it's he'll know because he's a big university of nebraska fan it was like their some guy their came in and revolutionized he was like we're gonna lift stuff and get stronger and everyone's like whoa this is insane like, but that'll I think, slow us down <laughs> yeah they're like no you're gonna get slower and it's like no we're actually gonna get faster and stronger but from an investment perspective of peloton i think that's a good note that a lot of fitness stuff is trendy so that's a bit of a worry, like some, you know, in the eighties, wasn't it those like workout dance classes? I don't know if that was, it's kind of just a yeah. stereotype. I don't know, <laughs> but you know, then there's strength, there's cardio, there's P90X and uh, what's the one now? CrossFit, all that stuff. It's a bit trendy, uh, but we don't need to harp on that. Uh, Ian, do you want to talk about management and ownership? Yeah. First, I want to touch on that though, Brett, are you saying you're not a regular attender of Zumba classes? I, no. Zumba. Zumba. Is that the big one? I think that's what they call it today. I, yeah. Bar, right? B-A-R-R-E. <laughs> yeah, something like that. But anyways, um, John Foley, like Ryan was mentioning, is the CEO. Um, I've, I've become a real big fan of this, how I built this podcast. Um, and there's another good episode with John Foley on there where he talks about a lot of kind of his history and how he, how he started Peloton and that type of stuff. So I'd recommend listening to that, but a couple of the highlights are that he worked at Mars when he first, um, actually before he got out of college and then right after he got out of college, he was working for Mars, uh, working like leading like the Skittles and starburst, um, products, which is kind of interesting. After that, he went to Harvard business school, uh, later worked for an IAC company and ran one of their small companies called, um, Evite. Um, his, I think it was his brother-in-law was working um, as like the either the CEO or COO of Ticketmaster at the time, and so he kind of had an in at IAC and um, started started working there, and so that kind of has continued. Some of the people that are still around Peloton are um, originally from IAC. Then after that, he worked on the digital side at Barnes and Noble, kind of when they were competing with Amazon, and I think that was a pretty rough, uh, pretty rough go of it for a couple of years, but. Around that time, he decided to start Peloton, and he was about 40 years old at the time, so not one of these super young founders, um, but also not super old, right? Just a, a good solid age. But uh, the the he the story is that he was kind of looking at these fitness classes and realizing that he couldn't get to the he would try and sign up the night before for some of these spin classes with his favorite instructors at the right time. And he couldn't because they were filling up and he thought, man, if these classes are filling up with 50 people, um, in New York city, I wonder what we could do if we could digitize this, would a hundred people show up? Would, you know, a thousand people show up. If we put this around the world, would 50,000 people show up for the best instructor at the best time. And because of kind of his, the technology, um, background that he had, he started, that became, he became obsessed with the idea and really said, I got to figure out how to do this. So, and, and it, that's come to fruition, right? There, there are a lot of people who want the best instructors at the best times or on demand is um, with their library of classes. So I think he had a pretty good vision and did a good job there. Um, one other note is that William Lynch is the president and um, he's the former CEO at Barnes and Noble when, uh, when John Foley was there. And so, and I think William was also at IAC, um, previously. And so there's kind of a lot of, there's a lot of people from that. It seems like there's a lot of people from kind of that IAC Barnes and Noble, um, kind of lineage that are still part of the company today. Yeah, that's good. Now, did you figure out who the, I know his wife works there. What, what's her role? I'm not sure exactly. I saw that you'd noted that. Um, but I'm not sure exactly what her role right, is. I'll look that up. The, the business model reminds me a little bit of like evolution gaming and the live casinos, just in the way that they're like streaming the events to that minute. It, it unlocks a lot more scale than obviously in-person classes. Yeah. And unless, uh, and this is more um, nice. It's not, you know, come in to be able to gamble thousands of dollars over the internet. Yes. Okay. She is VP of apparel. All right. Interesting. Um, all right. I'll hit valuation market cap of $27 billion ticker is PTON. Pretty good ticker. That was got to go on. And uh, the numbers here, just as a note, are before the Q3 results are released. You may be listening to this right after the Q3 results. Not Q3. It's uh, Q1, well, technically. Calendar Q3. Calendar Q3. Their Q1. Um, 
I hate those companies. Uh, <laughs> price to sales is 6.75. Price to gross profit is 18.6. That is trailing. I don't think any other profitability metrics matter yet. They probably talk about adjusted EBITDA. I've tended to just ignore that stuff. Another important note is they have 57.9 million stock options outstanding versus 303 million shares outstanding. So I expect dilution to be quite the headwind. They love stock-based compensation. Not necessarily a good or a bad thing. That's just how they finance their business. All right, Ryan, you want to hit earnings? Yeah. So as you mentioned, their earnings calendar is a bit strange. Last quarter they reported was their Q4. So I'll... I can talk about the full year numbers because that's the most recent uh, stuff, but new earnings are about to come out. They will actually come out prior, like a week before everyone listens to this. Uh, And so maybe I'll try to give some guidance there, but for the fiscal year, 2021, they had just over $4 billion in revenue. That was up 120% from 2020. Um, However, that includes also a big drawback in Q4 of this year from the recall of the tread. So if anyone remembers, I'm sure most people have heard about it, but there wasn't the bar or the gate beneath uh, the treadmill and people would get, some people would get sucked under there. Kid died, yeah. And a kid passed away. And so they they had to recall the treadmill. uh, And so that really kind of affected their Q4 financials. Um, They ended the year with 2.33 million connected fitness subscriptions. That's 114% more than a year ago. As I'd say, as far as metrics to track, that's probably the most important. they have roughly 20 month, 20 monthly workouts per connected fitness subscriber in Q4. That's slightly down year over year, but that's still, I mean, 20 workouts in a month is still pretty good engagement. Um, and it's also a, off a very tough comp because you were, uh, you're comping against COVID numbers now. Um, and so the, it, as far as gross margins go, it's probably best to break them up into two camps. So they have connected fitness gross margin. That's primarily the hardware. I believe apparel gets lumped, lumped into there as well. And then they have subscription gross margin, which is that software component. So last quarter connected fitness gross margin was 11.6%. A lot of that was because of that tread recall. It was 45.3% a year prior. So they do, t- I mean, you, uh, the bikes are expensive. So they aren't just selling these at cost. Um, they, although they have lowered the price, um, that uh, but it's not typically 11.6% gross margins. And then subscription gross margin was 63.3%. That's actually up from 56.8%. So you're starting to see some operating leverage there. Uh, fiscal year operating income. Well, not gro- uh, operating leverage would be operating. But sorry, you're seeing more profitability the yeah. more users that are added. Yeah. Um, and then operating cash flow was, or operating income would have been positive if it weren't for the recall, but they reported an operating loss of about 188 million and operating cash flow was negative 240 million. Uh, but inventory, if you remember, was depleted heavily last year. So there was like this huge backlog and they couldn't, they didn't have the manufacturing capacity to fill it. Um, and so inventory was way down. They spent a lot of money trying to bolster that this year, which decreases the cash flow figure. Um, and then they had $194 million in stock-based compensation for the year. I find that a little unnecessary uh, for this company, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's more engineers on the backside that I'm not thinking about. They talk about, um, well, wh- 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 why do engineers are? Why are the only ones? Because they, they love they get, stock, I yeah, guess. Yeah, why are the engineers the only one that gets stock? It's not as bad as some companies, but it's still not great. The other thing is the the recall will also have an effect on the upcoming quarter. I remember them mentioning that, and I believe revenue is expected to decline year over year uh, in Q1 because of that. Um, so once again, I'd pay most attention probably to the connected fitness number or connected subscribers. Uh, anything else? Ian, you want to go balance sheet? Sure. They've got about $1.6 billion in cash and short-term investments. So pretty healthy, healthy amount of cash on the balance sheet. They've also got about $1.5 billion in debt, but about half of that is leases. And then the other half, the remaining $830 million is convertible notes. And they issued these convertible notes back in February of 2021, when the stock was about 75% higher than it currently is. And they're able to get 0% convertible notes with a conversion price, which is uh, $240 a share, which is almost three times what the stock is currently trading at. And so um, that looked to be genius financing for Peloton at the moment, right? They really were able to capitalize on a, on a high, high share price and they just got to keep 0% growing. 0% debt. They, right? you know, they got to hit that share price or else their hands pay it back. But yeah. Yeah. But it's though. at that point, they'll be able to refinance it if they want to. Um, but anyways, they'll, you know, keep growing would be best, but anyways, yeah. um, 
Inventory, or sorry, one other note on the balance sheet is that inventory is ramping up significantly, which is something to watch. Management is saying that it's related to the launch of new products and that they're prepping for the biggest holiday season ever. And so they want to make sure that they're ahead of it. They don't want supply chain issues to really get in the way of um, a big sales um, holiday season. So that's something to watch because I think that that could be something that could potentially drag the stock down if they're not very good at inventory management. And inventory, is, like I said, is up dramatically um, because they have now all these treadmill products. They've got the two types of bikes and they're trying to ramp up for the holiday season. So um, with these supply chain issues going on in the background. So inventory is something to watch if you're investing in, in Peloton. And they have more uh, capacity or manufacturing capacity now with the pre-core acquisition which kind of, I believe that gives them two big spaces in Washington and North Carolina. Yeah, it's actually right next to us. But yeah, the uh, yeah, hopefully that can help with manufacturing, although it probably takes a while to onboard all that to like, because they're making pre-core bikes of those now, but we'll see. Um, the holiday season will be important for them this year because last year they claimed it was depressed. I think it probably was just because of the supply chain issues. So we'll see how big this quarter can be. Well, they had to cut, if I remember correctly, they had to cut all marketing because they couldn't intake the demand. Yeah, something like that. But uh, yeah, hopefully this is a better season for them. Uh, anything else or should we hit the ad break? Nope, let's hit the ad break and we'll get back for the second half. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Here you are, miles from home and ready to start your vacation. Good thing you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. They have free high-speed Wi-Fi to stream all your favorite movies. And in the morning, get fresh waffles with their free bright side breakfast. Or squeeze in a workout at their fitness center. Either way, you're ready to conquer the day. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you triumph. Book your stay at LQ.com. Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi includes advanced security to help protect all your connected devices. You'll get real-time alerts. Oh, like this one. So you don't have to worry about malware. Or when your kid downloads a song from a shady link. And now all your computer can play is... Red color, red color, where are you? <sighs> all blocked, thanks to advanced security. Included with Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi. Advanced security must be enabled in the Panoramic Wi-Fi app. Restrictions apply. All right, welcome back in. Anecdotal evidence up first. We got Ian. What do you have? I don't have much. Um, I haven't ever actually used a Peloton. I have done some spin class type things just on um, on my own, really. But I do. I will say that I I am a big fan of working out at home, just because of the ease of it, not having to drive to the gym, just getting getting my workout in and being done. And so Pelotons are attractive to me in that sense. And I don't think that's just related to COVID times. That's for me at least. Um, working out at home always seems like a better option if I've got good equipment at home. Um, and for now, uh, the Peloton's just a little bit outside of of what I want to what I want my price range to be. But yeah, and you have to invest in more than just the bike. Typically, you got to get whatever the shoes. Maybe you got to get some weights. I don't know. Some right, other I'd like I, I wouldn't only want to do weight or spin classes, right? So I'd want to have some other stuff, some other workouts to do. And so it just it becomes a little little bigger of an investment. Yeah, it's it's not the fifteen hundred. It's probably a few thousand bucks. Um, Ryan, what do you got? Uh, well, I guess a little bit about me. I don't, uh, I don't use the product. I'm more into like uh, weight lifting and going to the gym, which I don't think is the customer base that they're going after. Really, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I do have several family members that have them, or I guess it's one household, but they all use it. And I think as far if you have a household of like three or four people that are going to use it, this is affordable and it's practical and it's much more convenient than going to the gym. Um, I think it really, if you were just going to do cardio and that type of stuff. Yeah. yeah, I wouldn't be concerned if I were like a traditional gym, but I have to imagine this is eaten away at like orange theory and some of those cardio based or spin class type uh, spots. That's probably what's probably going to get hurt or soul cycle. I think that's popular over here. Yeah, probably. Um, I don't know. The, I think the clear way you got to look at it is there's that 174 million people around the world that are members of these types of things, either digital or fitness. The Peloton can go after a good chunk of that, but it's definitely not all of them. If we're looking at us as an example. Another piece of anecdotal evidence is that people start to get acquainted with a certain instructor. I think that's not that different uh, from like traditional spin classes, but there is sort of an affinity for, um, 
the actual instructors, which maybe builds a little more loyalty to Peloton. Yeah. All right. I'll hit mine. I mean, similar, you know, the same stuff. I just joined a gym. Didn't really think about buying Peloton. It's not something for me. Again, that kind of eats into that user TAM question, but the best anecdotal evidence is probably to look at their workouts chart in the shareholder letter. Like Ryan mentioned, that's, you know, that's a really easy way to see how much people are utilizing the product. And if they stop giving that out, that's you know probably a red flag, but I doubt they will. Um, all right, future growth opportunities. Ian, what do you think for this one? For future growth opportunities, I'm going to say wearables. That's something that I know a lot of investors are very weary of because it's been, or sorry, leery of that. Um, I know that people have seen it as not historically a good category. There's been a lot of failed attempts at wearables, but I think Peloton actually has a good chance and wearables make sense for their business. Um, honestly, Peloton and Apple might be the only companies that really can do wearables effectively. Cause I think if you had a wearable, you know, some sort of watch or something that was tracking a lot of your, your, your heartbeat and your, um, some of your other, uh, movement data and things like that, along with your workouts, that that could be really valuable when paired with some of the workouts that they have, um, in their library. And they're reportedly working on a digital heart rate armband, um, which is, kind of sprung out of this um, acquisition they made in late 2020 of a company called Atlas Wearables. So it's something they seem to be pursuing a little bit, but we haven't seen any real fruits of that yet. They're not selling any wearables currently, but I think that's that's a future growth opportunity that I think makes a lot of sense for them. You think, you, they, or, you think they can beat out Garmin? Yeah, Garmin's pretty, they, look at that stock chart. It's been a forgotten gem. Um, yeah, I think I have a Garmin and I, I liked it for a while um, and, and wore it every day for a long time. But I think if you had if you had a Peloton, then it would make sense to get the Peloton wearable that fits with that and, and maps with that. Just like, you know, the Apple Watch for any sort of iPhone user. Right. It just makes sense to get the Apple Watch or to get the AirPods or the things that match with it and sync up real well. Um, and if Peloton did, did something that was really focused on fitness, I think it would be. I think that'd be a tough thing for anybody that had a Peloton. Um, if it was a if it was a reasonable product and comparable to the Garmin stuff, um, I think people would probably go with the the Peloton, the think, Peloton version. Yeah, I think there is. It's going to take a lot of R and D, though. Sorry. I, I think there is a larger market for like the accessories and sort of the ancillary products aside from just the subscription and the bikes or the treads. Like, I think apparel. I actually haven't looked at any numbers. I don't know if they release the numbers on apparel, but I think apparel could be pretty big. Um, and wearables, I'm blanking on any other the, any other stuff that they sell. Um, but I'll hit my future growth opportunity. So they they announced this last quarter. I, they launched it in June, and it's the corporate wellness program. And it, they say that it allows employers, insurers, and other partners the ability to offer their employees and members subsidized subsidized access to Peloton digital subscriptions, all all access memberships, and or connected fitness products. Uh, they signed a few big corporations with this. Uh, I'm blanking on the names of them, but. CFO Jill Whitworth mentioned, and they talked about this throughout the entire conference call, which is they're more focused on maximizing or increasing gross profit dollars than maximizing gross margin. Um, and I think this is one way to do that. They're, they believe that they have a certain lifetime value. They have a really high lifetime value, and they think it's well worth the investment to subsidize these for big enough corporations. Um, and it seems like just another good way to add subscribers uh, and and accelerate this subscriber growth and in turn gross profit dollars. Yeah. Creating, increasing the value proposition of the subscription is likely very important or it's not likely it is very important. Um, that hits into my future growth opportunity too, which is strength workouts, uh, strength worth that workouts increased 256% in fiscal year 2021 and are now 18% of the workout mix. If, those are a good value proposition and they become as good of a value proposition as the cycling workouts. Maybe people subscribe just for the strength stuff. And if someone does all multiple stuff, like Ian, you were mentioning, you know, if you're at home workout, you kind of want more than just the bike. This really increases the value proposition of that digital subscription. And if it's 40 bucks a month, that's pretty comparable to a gym. And if it's more convenient and just as good for people, that, that's great. And it's probably very sustainable. Um, all right. Highlights and lowlights. Uh, Ian, what did you like and dislike about this business? One of the things I really liked is the 92% retention rate. That's super impressive. If they can keep that rate around that, that level, that's going to be, it should be great for the long-term business. Um, 
typical, I kind of looked up some numbers in studios and health clubs typically have a, uh, a retention rate somewhere between 70 and 80%. So it's, it's fairly significantly above the average. Um, they've got a cult following and I'd say that I think they're, and I don't want to, they're not Apple. I'm not trying to say that Peloton is Apple, but I think they're the most similar company to Apple in the sense of having a cult following and being good at hardware and good at software that they've really done a good job of, of melding hardware and software and developing that cult following with a lot of people that just love it, rave about it, talk about it. A couple of the lowlights for me is that they are making a lot of, a lot of acquisitions. And that's something that just concerns me when you start seeing a company make a lot of acquisitions without a history of incorporating those well. And so, um, you know, they've got a lot of cash laying around right now and the, the stock was fairly expensive. It still is probably expensive, but, so, so, you know, I assume they're trying to be aggressive and grow, but just with the uncertainty about the future, um, I think the acquisitions add a little bit of risk. Um, and then also the, the safety piece of it, I, it seems like they're going to have more safety issues in the future, not necessarily because the company is some horrible company or anything like that, but just with this type of fitness things, things happen, right? People, people use it improperly or it's not quite perfect for every situation. And so, I assume that over time, if you're a Peloton shareholder, that you will see a few of these safety type issues come up. I'd also like to throw a question back at you. And I was just talking about their high retention rate, but do you think it's a, a really sticky service over long periods of time? Because I feel like if I had a Peloton sitting in my house, I probably would feel almost guilted into paying for the subscription. Like people already signed up for the gym and feel, feel bad about ever canceling their gym membership. They want to like, you know, they do it every single year for, you know, your new year's, new year's resolution. But I, I feel like the Peloton just adds to that when you go, Oh, I've got a $1,500 bike or a $2,500 bike here. I really have to pay this 40 bucks a month so I can really use it. Um, do you think that's the case? Or do you think people, people will give up on Peloton even if they've got the bike? Right. Well, there, uh, I remember seeing a stat that one in two of their members uh, uses the, or pays for a subscription. So I found that a little, like, I guess, surprisingly a little low. Maybe some of those members aren't super active, but 19.9 monthly active workouts. I think it's like 22 on average uh, throughout the whole year. People are very active on these things. So I th- it's. They include warmups. Anytime you're on it, that counts. So it's a bit inflated, but we'll see if that sticks over time. It seems, it seems yeah. solid. I, I worry about churn ticking up. It ticked up last quarter. I think that was a huge number that people were concerned about. Um, it's ticked down the last two fiscal years, which on that face, it looks three, great. And maybe, uh, or last two whatever, fiscal years. two, I mean, the periods were two, but yeah, three, 19, 20, 21. Um, so that's good if that can continue. But this last quarter has been a blip and I would be concerned coming out of the pandemic. I don't know. I also would be concerned about as they mature and they get people off the three trial, three month free trial for subscriptions, how that impacts churn. And I'd also be concerned or maybe just would be uh, wanted to know how, like once everyone stops paying for their bike, how that impacts people's willingness to pay for a subscription. Like, is it going to be good or is it going to be bad? As the company matures, uh, it's it seems like there's a lot of variables that could either be positive or negative for subscription uh, retention. What was uh, did the churn number factor in the tread recalls? Because I imagine if you sent your treadmill mm. back, you probably canceled your subscription for a month or two. I don't know. I know it was like point six one for the full year, but last quarter monthly was point seven one percent. So it ticked up, and that sounds like a tiny bit, but monthly. That's a decent uh, increase. All right, Ryan, what were your highlights and lowlights? Well, it seems like they've got the manufacturing and backlog issues solved, and they're building out a big facility in Ohio to help with that. They made, made sure to advertise that on their annual yeah, letter. It's not coming to 2023, so we're going to have to wait. But. It was like, I mean, they were treating it like it was like one of these massive gigafactory type things, but they're just manufacturing bikes. So I, oh, I guess it wasn't it's, oh, it's it was exciting up. to them. Talk about engineering. Um, but it's good that they have this kind of done before Christmas. So they really, uh, advertise and have a really good Christmas season. Cause I know they were sort of, well, Ohio facility is not going to be in now. No, but they, they've said that they, between the pre-core and I believe there's another acquisition that expanded capacity. They said that they're well-equipped to meet they're, demand yeah. this quarter. They're not going to have the problems that last time. 
Yeah. The other thing, they received approval on the repair remedy for the tread. I think tread can be a big product. I also think they can move into something like the rowing, uh, the rowing machines as well. Uh, I guess maybe that could have been a feature growth opportunity. Tread, really? Yeah. Treadmills, just go outside. I don't know. <laughs> what you- could have said the same thing for the bike. No, the bike's different because of the class. Like running, there's no there's no different experience. You just run or you walk. Right? I think they're selling treads. Uh, well, I wouldn't <laughs> doubt it. May whatever consumer products that I don't that I think are dumb, like I've said before, usually get yeah, usually do well. The uh, the tread should be, I believe, it's going to be start being launched. It's going to be launched again in the U.S. here in the upcoming quarter. So it's because they're kind of getting that back on uh, track. I also just generally really like the business model. This obviously scales really well if they, those members continue to stay active. Yeah. Um, so there is clearly operating leverage in the business. Uh, low lights for me though, and this isn't, I, I guess the pre-core acquisition felt rushed. I know it had to be because they had to expand capacity. I, I don't like, I don't. I don't but like that it. felt super rushed. And then the other one is I'm not overly fond of the management team. I can't really put my finger on why. Um, but it's just, I don't know, gut check wasn't, wasn't in love with it. No, well, I can, yeah. So my low lights on management, uh, uh, we can talk about the financial shenanigans. Maybe I found a bit here, but my highlights love the subscription business. I mean, margin profile, that's going to be fantastic. Uh, and if, if there's going to be a winner in connected fitness, like I would bet it'll be Peloton. They, there's no one that can really compete. I mean, Apple is trying, but without the bike, I think they're screwed. It, However, you know, you can compare it to Netflix when you're like, oh, there's, there's going to be this big shift, right? Like for Netflix, it was so easy to see how there's going to be the shift from, um, well, hindsight's 2020, but it was so easy to see how there's going to be the shift from cable to internet connected uh, streaming. And you can make the same claim with Peloton, but I'm less sure about the transition from like physical gyms and stuff like that to these at-home things. What are you guys' thoughts on that? Is that trend like really easy to forecast? Because I think it's almost up in the air, like whether that's going to continue. I think they put, last time we had a show about Peloton, we were asking, is this just some gimmick, some like workout gimmick that's that have come before? So like P90X. And they I think passed that. Yeah. I think they're past that hurdle. They added a million subscribers past COVID or doubled their subscriber count. I, I think they've shown that it's, but Sticky is it going to be, stay. is it? Yeah. But what's, how many people are going to transition over? That's the big question. From just like, if you're thinking that gyms. linear is regular gyms, you know, not connected fitness. And this is the quote unquote Netflix or internet connected transition that people made. How much, uh, like how many people are actually going to transition over? to the? Platform? I don't know if that's the right. Like, I don't know if that's the right metric to look at people that have, existing gym memberships i feel like a lot of these people this is their first time paying for anything fitness related okay so it could expand their own market okay if you kind of that's okay that could be it uh, ian maybe maybe i think that makes sense ian yeah i think i think there is a surprise because i would put myself in this category that i like i said i do prefer to work out at home if i've got all the equipment there so and i've bought a couple over COVID. i bought a few pieces of equipment um which was not the right time to buy it because everything was super expensive. But, um, but I think, uh, I think there's a l- larger percentage of people than we would give credit for that do prefer that. I don't think it's everybody and I don't think it has to be everybody, but it wouldn't surprise me if someday we had about half the population, um, of the, the workout population going to physical locations and about half doing connected fitness. I don't think that's an unreasonable number to assume we're going to get to someday. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what All right. Other low lights. I mean, I don't like the acquisition of pre-core. Yeah. It gives you manufacturing capacity, but those products are not great. I don't know. It's not a good, it doesn't, you can tell it's not a good business because they don't have the subscription thing. And if Peloton didn't have the subscription thing, it would be a lot tougher. Um, churn creeping up is a concern. And I think they may be stuffing some cost of revenue into sales and marketing. So I looked at their definition of the 10 K and yeah, it's probably technically right. You know, like it passed the audit, whatever, and they can put it in there but they have store leases, payment processing, digital app costs, and property, some property depreciation in their S&M spend, which I think, yeah, they can put it in there. They probably were approved to put it in there, but those are going to, like some of those are fixed, but those are not um, sales and marketing, I don't think. And uh, some of those are going to scale. 
So I would be worried about their gross margin being a bit inflated versus what their true operating margin can be. I do not like the founder's wife having a role in the business. If it was a woman founder, just to be clear, I would not like the husband being in the business as well. Um, that stuff just never, it rubs me the wrong way. Um, even if they're good at their job, it just, I don't like that type of stuff. Um, here's a quote that scares me though. It's it might, at first you might not think it's anything, but it says we did not have any undisclosed off balance sheet arrangements as of June 30th, 2021. Usually a company says we do not have any off balance sheet arrangement, but these ones in their 10 K and I couldn't find it. They says we do not have any undisclosed off balance sheet arrangements. And you apparently have to look at the proxy statement, which I don't know if that's out yet. So that that's just kind of feels like, you know, as Ryan said earlier, they said they were highly profitable in 2019. They weren't. Um, it feels like they play a bit of the financial shenanigans game. And that concerns me, although it might not matter. And then they also had a material weakness with inventory on valuing inventory as of June 30th. They still haven't fixed yet. So I'll add all that up. And that, that's a low light for me on the accounting standpoint. Um, all right. Bull case. Ian, what's your bull case for Peloton from here? Um, the bull case, I think, would be that Peloton, Peloton is not just a COVID company, that it continues to grow its subscriber base and people relate to the brand from more than just these spin classes. I think that they probably need to grow revenue at about 25 to 30% for the next four or five years to, to kind of keep pace with the market over that time. And I think if additional product lines catch on, that uh, that'll you know whether that's baked into that twenty five or thirty percent, or that adds to that twenty five or thirty percent growth. If they can if they can start connecting on some of these um, other product lines and these other these other kind of types of workouts, I think that the valuation um, will reward them for that, and, and it probably is a market beater over over the next few years if they can do that. Yeah, they got to keep the high revenue growth rate for sure. Ryan, what's your uh, bull case? Uh, well, I could I can totally see like a reasonable bull case and it would come from growth and connected fitness subscribers or subscriptions. You can increase the lifetime value in other ways. Like we've talked about with like maybe apparel and maybe there's uh, maybe they customers are worth more than the market's currently giving them credit for. Uh, But based on their current guidance for fiscal year 2022, they'd be generating a little over 1.1 billion in gross profit from subscriptions. If you assume similar gross margins to this year. And that's about nine months forward, right? Yeah. Yeah. Roughly. And then, so I think you at least need to get to about 10 million subscribers. If you can get to 10 million subscribers or subscriptions, this looks like it's probably going to be a great investment. I I also think it's possible if you introduce new product lines like the rowing machine um, or just find new ways to get them into the subscription, whether it's strength training, at-home stuff, uh, stretching, yoga, whatever those types of workout classes are that people used to do, if you can bring them into the house or into the home, uh, that's another way to add subscribers. Yeah. I would, I typically just, I don't ignore the revenue from the hardware products, but I can't like when doing the valuation, I'd kind of want to ignore that if, if they're kind of, you know, they're, they're going to maybe break even around that. I think they mentioned they want the, the hardware gross profit to cover sales and marketing spend, which means they're not looking to really generate outside cash flow from that. So I, I honestly would value it on the subscription gross profit only, at least at this point. And that's my bull case is kind of subscription gross profit gets to somewhere around $5 billion, which is a big increase from here, probably within the next, I don't know, five to seven years, something like that. You really got to expect something big. That would probably be 10 times, maybe the connected fitness subs. And then, well, I mean, right now trailing is 500 million, something gross profit subscription. So, I mean, that's 10 X, be a little less. So the, uh, I don't know really if anything else matters. Churn is definitely important. If that continues to tick up, that would be hugely concerning because then everything breaks. Um, but bear case, Ian, what's your bear case here? My bear case would be that Peloton wastes a bunch of money on acquisitions and product development for things that don't end up ever contributing to the bottom line, that they hit it out of the park on this Peloton bike, but that the rest of the stuff people don't really care about. And so that Peloton is stuck is just this one product brand that, um, you know, finds finds a market, but I think um, it's currently being priced for, for a company that's really going to win the connected fitness um, space. So I think if they, they get stuck in this one product and waste a bunch of capital on things that aren't related to this product, that's going to be um, the stock's not going to perform very well if that's the case. All right, Ryan, what's your bear case? Uh, I think that was a good bear case. They do tend to be slightly 
wasteful, I guess, with the money that they have. Maybe, maybe they're just trying to be innovative. And, oh, we're and, investing for growth. Yeah. Well, it might they might just be exploring what works. Like maybe the treadmill could be bigger than the bike, and so they're like, why not try it out? I guess, but I don't know. Some of that seems wasteful to me. Uh, I I think the biggest bear case is that the TAM is smaller. Like the amount of people that want to be subscribers to Peloton in their home is smaller than what is estimated. Like maybe they're closer to saturation than we already, than most people think. If that's the case, this will be an underperforming investment. Even if the subscribers today uh, are worth a lot and they stick around, it's already pricing in some growth, obviously. So uh, if they're, you know, if they don't, if they don't hit their growth metrics, or if they underperform their upcoming guidance for connected fitness subscriptions, like full year guidance, that's a red flag. Yeah, and they would have to. The this would also include basically those new business lines aren't as big as people expect. I really doubt that apparel can be meaningful for them. If you look at like Lululemon, Lululemon does something like five billion dollars a year in revenue, and they're probably the best. Once you guys agree, the best apparel company in the world from a shareholder kind of perspective. Um, Nike shoes, you know, different for non shoes. Maybe not, you know, Nike's number one if you include shoes, but. Okay, Lululemon does like $5 billion. If Peloton gets to a billion dollars in apparel revenue at what? Probably how much of that to 20 billion, 20, 200 million in true profits from that at scale? I mean, that's not that meaningful for a market gap of 27 billion. I wouldn't think about it like that. I would think about it like tacking on $50 to the annual value of a customer. Like let's say they add a coat or a shirt or yoga pants each year. Yeah, it's not going to be Lululemon, but it can increase the lifetime value. Sure. Yeah, but I just don't. Is it a is it a needle mover for a stock that's this big? Uh, maybe. Maybe I'm underestimating it. Um, my bear case, same as you guys. You know, churn creeps up addressable market. If addressable market, like Ryan said, and you, I think Ian, you said it too. If it's not as big, I mean, we're, it's just not going to happen. It's kind of a. It's kind of a. It's a really black or white scenario, which is makes it so interesting. Which leads us into the last part here, more or less interested in what are your final thoughts on Peloton? I'm a little less interested and I think the business is is good. Um, it wasn't a business that I went, that, that blew my mind with how good it was, but I think it's a good business. Um, I'm just, there's just enough uncertainty in the future here that I, I would kind of like to see how it plays out a little bit, see if they have any success with, see how treadmill or tread um, works for the next couple of quarters and, uh, and see where this wearables things goes. You know, you get, you obviously, if, if they're, if they're successful on all of that, you get a bigger return if you invest today. But um, for me, I'd like to, I'd like to see a little bit more proof that they're going to be successful with those types of initiatives before I invested. All right, Ryan. I am more interested. My only the thought in, my, in the back of my mind is that I'm not necessarily that interested at its current price, like the price and growth, but I couldn't think of a better time in terms of PR to, to get in. I mean, it's down what 60 or 70% from its highs. And yeah, a lot of still, that, I mean, a lot of that is attributable to mistakes that they've made, like the treadmill recall. And the tread's going to be fine. Like, okay, look, kid died. That's, that's, that's bad. A lot of people got injured, but they'll probably be fine. It's not going to matter. Yeah. I, I mean, if they can make the repair remedy that they need, it should be fine. Yeah. It, uh, I just, I don't know. It, the price for me, maybe it's one of those things that I just constantly say, like, it's just not good enough yet. There's a lot of uncertainty and you're paying up for uncertainty. It's kind of tough. Yeah. I don't know what the cash flow margins will be at scale. I mean, of the subscription, it'll be probably high, but of consolidated, I think it will be pretty low. I'm still more interested, but I don't even need it on the watch list because you'll probably hear about it. It's one that's yeah. news anyway. Yeah, so. yeah, it's so fall. You don't even need it. Yeah, I, I'm more interested, but yeah, not at this price. Um, if there's a lot of uncertainty with something, and if there's a lot of quote unquote optionality, ability to expand into apparel, wearables, stuff like that, if it's uncertain, I want to get paid for that. So at this premium valuation, which if someone's listening and you're like, what do you mean premium? It's 40% off the highs. It doesn't matter where the stock was. It matters where the, what the price is now. You also have to factor in probably a two to 3% dilution per year. So, you know, add that on top. The valuation, the valuation isn't that crazy. 
if it's if, if, it, if it meets its projections, but there's yeah. a lot of unknowns. Exactly. The, the unknowns. I think they have a good chance of succeeding with their vision of 10 million. And I think fully one time said 100 million subscribers, which, you know, all right, if they hit it, that, then, then, then this will be amazing. But it's, it's not, it's nowhere near guaranteed. This is not like a utility type aspect, like music streaming, video streaming, uh, stuff like that. Like, it's not something that you're, you can see that it's not as forecastable, which gives people the opportunity if the investment works out, but it adds on that level of risk. So I don't know. It's such an interesting one. It'll be, this is one I love to follow. It's kind of similar to Facebook where I love to follow the company, even if I'm probably won't invest in it. Um, all right. Stock for next week. I think it is Ryan's turn, right? I just, it is. I forgot that it was my turn. Oh, I got, uh, I got one for you that someone said if you want, but uh, yeah, I know you want to choose your own. I have, okay. I have one in mind, but what, what was yours? It was someone recommended remitly. That could be a good one. Kind of close to MoneyGram, right? Yeah, MoneyGram, who we talked with, uh, if you're interested in that, cross-border payments, we talked with Luis about. But there's MoneyGram, we could all, or sorry, there's Remitly, and there's also Wise. We could do a pair with that. I don't know if we okay. force Ian to do I'll that one, but uh, Wise is also interesting. I'll throw up a vote then. Allbirds, I don't know if they're technically publicly traded yet, but they released an S1. I think they're public, yeah. Are they? They're about to. Maybe it was, it was maybe this week. Okay, Remitly or Wise. Ian, do you have a vote? Any of those sound good to me. They all sound interesting. Albert, okay. you, you I'm going all. remitly. I'm going remitly. Remitly sounds good. That, that's what the guy recommended. Um, that's all, right. all great. All right. That's going to do it for this Sorry. episode. Thank you all for listening. Remember, we are not financial advisors. Anything we say on this show is not formal advice or recommendation. Ryan and I are general partners at Arch Capital. Arch Capital clients may hold securities discussed in this podcast. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time.